internet i'm simon squibb your host at the good luck club i believe luck is an ingredient that's necessary for a successful life whatever you're starting building or shipping i'm here to tell you without luck you're not going to make it i've been testing my luck as an entrepreneur since i was 15 years old i've had plenty of failures and successes and i'm fascinated by the things i couldn't control the moments that made my career and the ones that threatened to end it in each episode i'll invite a guest to share their stories about luck the good and bad and together we'll test my theory about Luck's role. Today I am with Nick Lai, one of Hong Kong's leading CEOs. He's the co-owner of Hong Kong Broadband Network, one of the region's leading broadband suppliers. He has pioneered a co-ownership model that today involves nearly 930 people that are part owner in the business with him. It's a revolutionary model that I think we should all copy. And any entrepreneurs out there that are looking to build a business with purpose could learn from Nick's insights on how this model works. Nick has also taken his company through SARS, through the financial crisis, and today through the panic of coronavirus. Hong Kong is coming out the other side. There's some lessons we can learn from Hong Kong and from Nick today on how to survive coronavirus and long-term how to be an inspirational pioneering entrepreneur. So, Nick, welcome and thanks for joining us live from Hong Kong. Um, thanks, Simon. It's good to, see, it's good to be here. It's good to see you again. It's, it feels like it's been a while. A lot has happened in the last 12 months and even in the last eight weeks, the world just seems to have turned upside down. But how are you doing? How's the family and how, how's the business? Well, no, the situation is unprecedented. Um, but whenever there is a crisis, there is opportunity. And um, we're here to, to work our way through it. And, and, and you, yourself, um, how are you managing to push through? I, I mean, I'm reading that Hong Kong, it feels like Hong Kong's coming out the other end. Of course, there's always going to be bumps in the road. But, you know, in England, we, we were reading about, you know, what a scary place China was and then what a scary place Hong Kong was. And a lot of people I know that were living in Hong Kong left. And, and so, you know, I, I feel like now Hong Kong's become almost like a case study on how to fight back the coronavirus. I know there's been a slight influx of people again back into Hong Kong, but how have you been coping as a, as a family, as a, as, a, as a CEO and as a business? Um, well, let's start, let's start as, a, as a business. Now, what we do, we are the largest alternative telecom carrier in Hong Kong. So we provide a utility service, broadband, which is essential in this environment uh, because that's your communication to the world. We are quite substantial. Uh, one in three households are our uh, customer, one in two corporates, active companies are our customer. So we're a very substantial part of Hong Kong. So how we operate is we believe we can do good and do well at the same time. I mean, do good for our community and do well for our shareholders. These are not mutually exclusive uh, agendas. And that's what we're doing. Yeah, I, I can I can see just reading. I'm, I'm privileged to get some of your newsletters and, and it's just fascinating to read some of the pioneering things that you're doing. But what 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 did you do as a company when when this first hit you? And I'm just thinking about listeners out there, particularly right now. I know that businesses in the US and in, in, in UK are, are panicking. You know, what, what, how do you safeguard yourself? You know, how do you take care of your staff? How do you take care of the business and kind of push through? Do, did, did you know there would be an end because of your SARS experience or did you feel like it was never going to end? 
Um, when you're in the middle of it, it always feels like it never is never going to end, and I think you, that's that's the way you have to plan for it. So uh, let me just have one correction. Uh, we are a company with six thousand talents. We don't have any uh, staff in our company, so we treat everyone as a talent. But going back to how we manage through the process is, uh, we start off by working from home. The, the initial reaction was when the government announced that the schools would be closed. We immediately followed and said we work from home. Lucky we had the infrastructure in place uh, to allow our uh, talents to work from home. And then, as we slowly or, or rapidly got used to the situation, we started having teams. So now we have two teams. We have separate offices, and you're only allowed to go to one office. So the offices don't intermix. The basic assumption is that, uh, based on probability, someone will come down with the uh, virus, and then we will probably have to shut down the office and clean it. So you make you go to uh, you run the operation as if the worst case is happening. That's how we run the company. So just talk me through the timeline. Again, just thinking about listeners in the UK and the US right now that are, are panicking. We, we are getting hit with this now, I feel like. Uh, and you know, for example, the schools only, I think today, schools are actually closing down here. So that happened in Hong Kong three months ago, right? Was it three months ago? Yeah, I mean, and we also had some uh, closures because of the social unrest. Right. So... Uh, in, in some ways, we were kind of warmed up for it. Okay. So, so you, you're 6,000 employees in your company suddenly having to all work from home. How, how did that play out? How did, did, I mean, what I'm trying to get to, I guess, is if people are listening today, how can they plan? What, did, it, did you just follow the government's line? Sounds like you took your own initiative because you weren't forced to not have people come into your office. But how did you yeah, then... We- so how did you then decide, for example, that, you know, to do this split office? Was it four, five, six weeks later when the cases dropped? How did you decide on these things? Well, the first thing is, um, it's, a, it's a balance. You know, we run a utility service uh, like electricity. I think broadband today is probably even more important than, say, you know, um, some of the utilities, right? So yes. the core, the absolute core that keeps the network running we have no choice. Those people have to come to the office, mm. uh, come to the network operating center. Mm. So um, we keep that running. It's just a, it's like being a doctor. This is what, what you do, right? You don't run away from the situation, you face it uh, head on. So the core has to come into the office. But anything that is supplementary to the core, yeah, when it first happened, we said you can work from home. And of course, there is a degradation of service in the initial few days. And then as we got the feet running, we can figure out how to compensate. And eventually we went back to, to the office, but in a split office mode. Mm. But uh, the key is to find the right balance between absolute essential service and then um, uh, you know, uh, supplementing the back end. Mm. So you tone down everything that's non-essential, such as marketing, advertising, um, support functions, the non-essential support functions. What about on the personal side? How how did you manage it? I mean, you've got children, and I know I've I've got a two and a half year old. You know, trying to explain to them what's going on. How how have you how have you managed that? What's been been your strategy for any parents out there? Um, you've gone through it longer than most people in the UK and the US have gone through it, and you've been through SARS. I, I think you were in Hong Kong during SARS, right? And you manage it as best you can. You work within the confines. Um, I'm bringing my I'm actually bringing my whole family back. 
to Hong Kong. Uh, my kids go to boarding school, so they're coming back uh, in 12 hours' time. They're on the flight now. Mm. And then they will be, uh, by Hong Kong law, quarantined for 14 days right. under house quarantine. Right. With a bracelet. It's like home arrest, but oh. home quarantine. There's an app and there's a bracelet that tracks where you are. Wow. Okay. So anyone going into Hong Kong um, now will have a 14-day mandatory quarantine and you'll be almost like home monitored, like like a prisoner uh, is when they come out of prison. Sometimes they have these monitoring systems to make sure that that's what's going to happen, is it? There's a light version of that. Right. But, uh, there is an app. But from a family yeah. perspective, what we said is um, whatever happens, it's best for us to be together. Right. Couldn't um, agree more. So let's not spread out around the world. Right. Let's try and get together. Whatever happens, we will address it together. Right. Especially the... The silver lining in these situations is that um, uh, we actually get to spend a lot more time together. Totally, I'm 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 working from home today. I'm I'm doing this podcast live from my home, and uh, it's actually nice. My son is playing in his room downstairs with with his mum, and you know there's something nice about having that that human family work life connection that that I think a lot of people might now get to experience. I think, but yeah, I mean I I got a black eye yesterday from my son because we were playing uh, rougher than normal um, so this you can get some work injuries even at home it seems but um, but I agree with you I agree with your sentiment that people there's a silver lining to, to this which is definitely we get to spend more time with our family I think that again I'm always thinking about the listeners and what they might find useful you know you, you did you when you think about this situation with with your business I mean, you're in a very unique position because you're providing, like you say, I, I think it's a vital service right now. If, if broadband goes down in the US, in the UK, or you know, in, in Asia, when everyone's at home and worried anyway, you want to 10 times the panic, that's probably it. If people suddenly can't connect to what's going on and, and hear the news and, and so on, I mean, I see the downloads on Netflix, it must just freak people out. So you're doing a crucial, crucial thing, keeping broadband up and running. But there must also, I mean, it must also be um, a lot of pain. To, to, you mentioned businesses there. There must be a lot of businesses in pain right now. That's, that's going to affect your bottom line. But how, how, how have you coped with all of that? Okay, so first of all, I mean, like, we have, what we do is we always look at back at our own experiences and try and learn from what we have achieved in the past. For example, typhoons happen quite often in Hong Kong. You get two or three uh, typhoons. Last, or uh, yeah, I think last year we had a massive typhoon ten that pretty much wiped out uh, the city, and the city was down for a day or two. So what we're going through now is just like that period of intensity but extended. And so there was a, a crisis. You have to make a judgment call. You send your colleagues out when um, when the typhoon signals are uh, because the, the surface is down. Um, these are judgment calls. So we take that we take that kind of crisis management situation and just use the crisis as as the, the new norm. That's how we manage the network side. In terms of how we engage the community, we do what we can. So um, we went out and offered a, a one month waiver because we we saw that the community is suffering. So we offered a one month waiver of our telecom services, pretty much across our whole customer base. Now, one month is a, a substantial revenue exposure for us. It's one in 12 months, right? We have a 12-month kind of charge program. The other program we just launched is, um, <coughs> excuse me, 
Uh, when when the virus hit, everybody talks about going online, using Zoom, Teams, etc. But what we recognize in Hong Kong is some families cannot afford broadband at home. They can't even afford a PC. Um, uh, so we do our part. We are offering 10,000 free lines to be installed uh, at absolutely no cost for the underprivileged. That represents about 1% of our lines. Wow. This is why I wanted to talk to you. You're, you're in a unique position that you're the founder and CEO of a very large company that's critical at this moment that's making human decisions. And I hope that today, for example, the broadband suppliers in the US or in the UK are listening and, and will take note of what, you're, what you've done as an example because I think there's a lot of people in England right now that need good broadband and can't afford it. I think there's people right now in London that need access to information and can't get it. And I hope that they follow your example because it's, it's uh, amazing. And, and I, that I, I've, I've known this about you anyway because I've known you a long time. I know that you, you as a leader are quite unique. Um, and, and, and so it's just examples right now, times like this, I think show people's true colors. So, you know, hats off to you for doing that. Do you, when you, when you make these decisions, how, how does it happen in the boardroom? How, how, you know, how does it manifest itself? I mean, surely the conversation of the, the huge loss that that's going to cause you, especially when you're in the middle of the dark tunnel of not knowing when this is going to end, that must come up. But how do you make these decisions? Uh, what helps is we have a very, very clear core purpose. And everybody in the company knows this. Our core purpose is to make our home a better place to live. Now, that may sound like a Michael Jackson chorus line, but we actually execute it day by day. So we say, yes, it's you know, one twelfth of our revenue is a substantial hit, but it's something that we can afford and it's the right thing to do. Mm. And in the long run, we actually think it will be brand accretive. Mm. In the long run, I think more customers will come onto our network you know, by their own accord and less customers will leave us over time. That's why we believe it's possible to do good and do well. It's not mutually exclusive. And we hope in doing so. Now, one twelfth of a telecom bill in your overall uh, household expenditure is not a huge amount. It's material, but it's not a huge amount. But imagine if we can inspire others to do the same. Mm. Imagine if you get one twelfth off your uh, electricity, your gas, your mobile bill, etc. Imagine so if a, a supermarket let you shop for free for a month. You know, like I think it's a. Um there's a movement there that you could create, I think, and I hope that this broadcast today helps encourage people to think the way you think. And I think more leaders need to think the way you think. A lot of them are caught uh, in the headlights and not thinking about... It. Actually, it's interesting you mentioned purpose because I, I also say this a lot to people that you've got to know your purpose in business, not just what you do and how you do it, but why you do it. The Simon Sinek, why you do it piece and so you've really embedded it in your business and I, I again I, I know I'm feel like I'm gushing over you now but it's just you know fantastic what you, what you've done and I think it's amazing that you see it this way but I still can't imagine that boardroom meeting when you don't know when this is going to end because this is seen as more serious than SARS and you're in the middle of it and you decide to you know give away revenue that you need to pay your people so that they can continue to buy food 
So there is that trade-off, isn't there? Where you know, there's you don't want to in any way. You almost need your reserves. That's the that's the feedback I get from businesses here now. If I said to them, help 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 people for a month, the feedback would be, well, we need to keep our reserves because we don't know what's coming down the road. Do you think SARS helped you see that this would end? Do you think that's been one of the benefits of SARS to 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 businesses in Hong Kong? Um, no, certainly past experiences help. I mean, we've experienced you know, we've gone through crises before. Granted, this is unprecedented, the scale, the global scale of this crisis. But at the end of the day, we think it's the right thing to do. Now, our core purpose is very, very, very clear. So we had a very, very easy debate. It was a, like a 45-minute discussion amongst the executive team. Then we brought the idea to our board, and the board approved it within a couple of days by email. Mm, wow. Because, because everyone is um, centered around the core purpose. We already know what the core purpose is, mm. and this makes all the tick marks. Now, we also work out the worst case. Um, what's the maximum exposure that we have with this uh, monthly waiver? Mm. And we believe our balance sheet is strong enough to take that hit. Mm. I noticed Hong Kong. Again, I, 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 I lived in Hong Kong for 20 years, so I have a lot of admiration for the city. I mean, it does things wrong. We all know that. Nowhere's perfect. But I noticed... The differences between London and Hong Kong, for example, all the door handles, lifts, everything is cleaned every hour in Hong Kong when there's a crisis like this. But here, that's not happening. Do you can you pinpoint any other things that are happening in Hong Kong that people need to learn um, worldwide about how to control this virus? Well, I think one key difference I noticed is wearing masks. Mm. Now, the irony in wearing a mask is it probably does not protect you. You know, the gaps and your eyes are exposed and so forth. But what it does do is protect others. If you're sick and you're coughing, you're coughing into your mask. You're not coughing into the public's, you know, public space. But wearing a mask only works if everybody wears the mask. Right. Right. So, I agree with you. That is a, a an important lesson that is not clear. I mean, I, I was living in Hong Kong during SARS. I wore a mask. But here, for some reason, that I don't know, there's an element of it getting access to good quality masks. There is an element of fashion, looking people people don't want to look odd. There is also an element here that if you wear a mask, you are sick. The opposite to what you're saying. <laughs> there's an image, oh, that person's wearing a mask, they must be sick. And people, you know, act like they've got the plague, whereas they're actually doing the opposite. Like you say, they're protecting other people. Actually, it started. If you go back, I remember when I first saw people wear masks, it was in Japan, it was about 20 years ago. And I thought it was odd. Then I asked the locals, and they said it's to prevent the spread of the cold. Mm. They were being courteous to your neighbor. Mm. Because, you know, standing in the the tuna, the, the sardine kind of um, subway, mm. that's why people wear masks. Mm. Yeah, I think there's another good learning there for people listening. Wear a mask. I'm going to wear my mask from now on, Nick. You, uh, you, you make me realise. And I lived in Hong Kong, so I know what you're saying is true. But I think a lot of people misunderstand it. I think there needs to be a campaign around that exact thing. In fact, there's a, there's a, there's a misunderstanding. Any other insights? Anything else you think Hong Kong businesses are doing or Hong Kong is doing that, that we can learn from, uh, the rest of the world could learn from? No, I think you do what you can. You do what is within your control. Um, uh, for example, our, our you know separate office situation, mm. right? We assume that we will get hit mm. with the virus. Uh, statistically, you will get hit. 
Mm. And then you work on that assumption and you work backwards. Right. The, the senior executives are in different groupings. groupings. Mm. So we assume that, you know, and you have redundancy building, redundancy on redundancy on redundancy building into the process. Mm. Another, Hopefully I, what would happen is somebody uh, gets the disease, uh, you go into, uh, you know, the symptoms period, and then you come out of it and you recover. Mm. But you have to be ready for that. Yeah, I mean, people in England could probably relate to this if I told everybody or reminded everybody that, you know, the Queen, uh, often when she travels, she doesn't travel with the whole family because there's always an element of like, if that plane crashes, we need, you know, a succession line to live on. So she always, you know, the families travel separately. So, um, you know, there's some element of that with the office. Isn't it? You've got to, if you want to survive, uh, you've got to sometimes create that sort of separated office environment, which I think no one in England is thinking about. I can't think of, I've spoken to probably a hundred odd business owners in the last few weeks, and I can't think of anyone that's actually thinking about that idea. I mean, there's also, of course a structural issue. Having two offices is more expensive than one, probably. And having the ability to create a system that allows people to know where to go and when to go. I mean, our government can't even tell people when exactly they should go to school or not. So, you know, I think there's a, the management required uh, to, to get that right is huge. 6,000 people split into two and all knowing where to go and where to sit and what to do and getting access to all their equipment. Wow, that, that is a big job, Nick. How did yeah, you do it's, it? It's distributed. I mean, it's not... 6,000 people in one office is all mm. you know, throughout technicians right. around the region in total. But, right. I mean, that's the general philosophy. Mm. And are you, are you communicating more on things like Zoom? It's the Zoom share price has gone through the roof. <laughs> but do you, do yeah, you... we are. So, so that's... We use uh, something yeah, similar called Teams uh, with Microsoft oh, as okay. part of the Outlook package. And, and just because I end people out there wondering how to communicate, do you think, do you think Teams is better than Zoom? Just... No, no big difference. They're all good. It's, it's much of a muchness. Okay. Well, normally on these podcasts, uh, coronavirus doesn't doesn't dominate, and 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 I and I really enjoy chatting to entrepreneurs a little bit about them and their lives. And I, I often, I mean, maybe we could go lighthearted for a second because the coronavirus is probably overloading everyone. But your your tips have been amazing. But why don't we go lighthearted for a second? I'm really interested, just from you personally, um, what you think success is. What? How do you define success? I think Simon Sinek has a great quote. He said, success is not measured in what you achieve for yourself. It's measured in what you achieve for others. Along that line, it's not, it's not a word-for-word quote. But um, I truly believe that. I mean, of course, you have to achieve enough to support yourself and, and your family. But beyond that point is the, the impact you have on the society around us. Is that why you got into the business you got into, do you think? Because it does have such a massive impact, doesn't it? The broadband connectivity piece. It's just, is that why? It can be any business, um, but it's the way the business is run. Clay Christensen um, talks about, you know, the, he's the author of... Um, Innovator's Dilemma. I was on stage with him once. It was the pinnacle of my career. It's been downhill ever since. Yeah, amazing, yeah. <laughs> uh, but he also uh, is the author of How Do You Measure One, Your Life? Mm. Right? Uh, and he, I think he makes a, a great point. Being in management is actually a very honorable role because mm. it affects other people's lives. Mm. So being in management, we can shape, hopefully in a positive way, other people's lives. Mm. And 
you know, if you look at the society, if you look at Hong Kong in particular, there's a lot of issues in Hong Kong. There's income disparity. Uh, Hong Kong has one of the, the widest uh, Gini uh, efficiency in the world, you know, the, between the, the rich and the poor. Mm. So what we've done in our company is create a co-ownership structure where we have 900, 900 of the 6,000 uh, talents we have in the company are co-owners of the company. And on our name card, it says co-owner. If we do well as a company over a decade, those 900 people would do very well in terms of their uh, family wealth creation. Mm. But the key difference between being a co-owner and a normal employee is a co-owner has to write the company a check to buy shares. So you have skin in the game. It's not a free ride. It's not a stock option. It's a like a long-term invest, a supercharged investment uh, scheme that is linked to the performance of the company. So we care about this company. Actually, the co-ownership thing, that's something I think a lot of people in the US and in the UK do not know about. And just for a second, explain how that came about. How did you come up with the co-ownership model and how, how did you implement it? Well, we believe in management by alignment rather than management by order. So if you are fully aligned, the biggest problem in, in, in the kind of corporate world, I think, is the uh, management agency issue, whereas management are incentivized differently to shareholders. Management want a bigger bonus at the cost of shareholders. We're the other way around. We are the shareholders. We create our wealth through ownership, not through our salary. Mm. So that's what we want to do. Skin in the game is about this. I ask you a very, very simple question. What's the easiest way to ensure a large bridge is built safely for the long term? Mm, well, um, I guess everyone's going to use that bridge. Make sure everyone has access to that bridge so that everyone has a, a vested interest in making it safe and making it work. Yes, along that line. Uh, you get the, the people who, who design, build and maintain the bridge to live underneath the bridge with their families. Mm. Then you don't need to have rules about safety, about, uh, you know, regulated uh, safety checks, etc. If the people who build, maintain uh, the, the bridge live underneath the, uh, the bridge with mm. their families. Mm. Think about it. Because the actual natural conflicts of interest, the designer of the bridge may want to win bridge design awards, not not to build the safest bridge, but mm. once, once to win accolades. Mm. The builder of the bridge, the construction company, wants to use the cheapest materials to maximize the profit. But the maintenance person just wants to do the tick marks to make the, uh, the minimum regulatory commitments. Mm. These are all natural conflicts. But if you make them all live under the bridge with their families, you don't even need rules. Mm. That's what we do. We have 900 families living under our company, Hong Kong Broadband, the bridge. Mm. Wow. That's why when we, when we work from home, we're, we're not so worried about people skiving, right? about people not working. In fact, our people actually complain a little bit in that when they work from home, they're actually working a lot harder than working in the office. Because in the office, it's defined nine to five, at home, they're working 24-7. Mm. Mm. Wow. Okay, well, um, I, I, I normally with these podcasts, I try to keep it to half an hour so that um, people can listen to it 
um, easily. But I just wanted to maybe wrap up and ask a, f- a few final questions. Um, do you, I'm just interested if you think that being an entrepreneur is something you're born with or, it's, you're, you know, you're, you're basically it's, 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 it can be taught. I mean, your journey as an entrepreneur is pretty, pretty amazing. You, you know, how, what do you think about that? Is it are you born or bred to be an entrepreneur? I would say more, uh, what do you call it, developed over time. Mm. Not born, not, certainly not a natural talent. Um, it does take a lot of reading. It takes a lot of uh, insights. It takes a lot of mistakes. But mm. at the end of the day, it depends on how you want to measure your life. Mm. There's a lot of people um, who are going to be sitting at home uh, for a little while now in the UK and the US while we, we sit out uh, this virus and hopefully it dies off. Any books you advise people read if they're looking for inspirational leadership or, or um, to get kind of the insights that you've got? Any any top three, perhaps? Yeah, plenty. Um, Purpose Incorporated by John Wood. I think that's a fantastic book. And that that is that has truly inspired our company. Uh, based on that book, we have set aside a fund funded by co-owners. Um, basically, we donate some of our shares, some of the profits that we've made in the past uh, into that fund perpetually, so we give it away. And then the shares sit in that trust and will grow as the company grows. And then we use the dividends from that fund to perpetually fund nonprofit ideas. Uh, Skin in the Game by Nissan Callop. Uh, that's a key part of our co-ownership structure about living under the bridge. Delivering happiness by Tony Share uh, of Zappos about exceeding service expectations of your your customers and actually delivering happiness through your service. So there are plenty of books. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Nick. I've, uh, one final question, just this is the lighthearted one I always try to finish with. Um, but if you went back to your younger self and gave some advice, um, what would it be and how young were you when you give this advice? <laughs> make more mistakes. <laughs> Age five. Make, 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 uh, make more mistakes and make them when you're younger. Oh, make more mistakes. That's a good one. I might use that as the quote when I uh, tell everybody to watch your podcast. But thank you so much, Nick, for your time. I think we'll, we'll jump over now um, and, and, and do a 10-minute Q&A, um, and, and, but we'll do that uh, offline, and then we'll put it up later for people to listen to. But uh, thank you so much, Nick, for joining us, and we'll jump over now to um, offline. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thanks, Simon.